Hello everyone, this is Jacob Popio, the producer of The Apex. In this episode, Jan and RJ sit down with Robinson Oteen. Robinson has recently graduated from Walsh University with his MBA, but his real story lies in what brought him to Walsh in the first place. From dealing with African rebel groups and being forced to hide from his own parents for safety, to bombs exploding outside of his boarding school, Robinson has dealt with many obstacles along his path. Be sure to listen through the end of the podcast to hear how he plans to give back. If you want to support us, there are two ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash the Apex Podcast. The other is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from our episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your Apex. Welcome, Apex Chasers, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John Almasy, and seated across the table from me is my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. R.J. Holiday. <laughs> the, the, the tail off there. That was a great intro. Hey. You ever thought about doing boxing matches? Me? Introdu- introducing people? Bruce Buffer over Fighting here. Out <laughs> of the yeah. red corner. Exactly. Well, I hey, mean, hey. I could. A little bit of training, I'm sure I could get it down. Well, hello, everybody. Um, glad to be back. Now, we're here with an interview today. Very excited. What? Oh, yeah. We still do interviews? I guess. What Sometimes. Are those? <laughs> Sometimes what between are those? all of our rants and all that. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's been a while since we've had an interview, but I'm super excited for this one. This interview's been in the works for a long time um and we're getting it done the day before i leave for europe and like a week before our guest leaves to go back home to uganda squeezing it in under the wire better late than never right yeah better nate than lever (laughs) (laughs) we're Um, recording not in our usual place today either we are back at the walsh university in the original studio that the podcast was founded I'm having um, flashbacks. However, we brought our own equipment in this go around. Yeah. So we're going places. We're here for the quality. We've got the mobile studio, but we're inside of the Walsh University studio. So mm-hmm. um, shout out to Walsh University. Thank you for always being so accommodating. Uh, so to introduce our guest a little bit, uh, he grew up in an environment of war uh, in Uganda. We're going to touch a little bit on that and what it looks like as far as the country kind of rebuilding um, and people being stuck in a place um, post that war that he really wants to try to change. Uh, that's kind of been, I've had coaching meetings and stuff with this gentleman for probably close to a year now at this point where when I, when we first met, he had a lot of really cool ideas and the confidence just was not there to pursue a whole lot of them. Um, and the amount of progress that I've seen in just a year uh, as far as him putting the rubber to the road and actually going out and working hard and pursuing them um, and developing them has been phenomenal. So, and being part of this journey is going to be seeing where he grew up and how he got here. And then the other part is going to be offering practical life advice to those entrepreneurs that have the ideas, um, but aren't sure where quite to get started. I'm sure Robinson will have a lot to say about that. So, with that, everybody. I basically had a whole interview with him before <coughs> we even turned the mics on. Yeah, I know. That's why I wanted to just turn the mics <laughs> yeah, on so that we could hurry up. Him. So, with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Robinson Oteen. Hi, everyone. Hi, listeners. My name is Robinson Otin. You excited to be here? Really excited. Wow, this is this is an experience. Really, it's cool. And you guys are awesome. No, thank you very much. 
like I said, I've had a great conversation. This is going to be, I'm very excited about this interview. So Robinson, why don't you just go through for the purposes of our guests, um, just do a general introduction of who you are, where you're from, and um, you know what you do or why you're here. Oh, thanks, Jan. Um, like I said, my name is Robinson Otim. Well, where I come from, we don't start with our first names. We say Otim Robinson. That's oh. really interesting, yeah. Well, I'm born and raised in Uganda. I was born in the northern part of Uganda. Oh, and for those who don't know, Uganda is a small country in East Africa. It's really tiny, uh, about uh, 40, si 40 times the size of, oh, the US is about 40 times the size of Uganda. So you can fit 40 Uganda in right the US. Yeah. Um, it's a nice country, really beautiful, uh, located right across the equator. Uh, we have summer every day, <laughs> every day for the full year. I don't think I'd survive that. Oh, it's really cool. <laughs> oh, really green um, rivers and lakes, beautiful country. Uh, but also a country that has gone through really tough times, um, really a tough past. So this country gets independence in 1962. Uh, we have peace for around eight years. Where did they Where did they get their independence? Oh, from? they got their independence from Britain. Uganda okay. was a British colony. Yep. In nineteen sixty two, gets independence. We get <laughs> our say us too. Yeah. Seventeen seventy six, baby. <laughs> so we get a first African president. Really cool. That went on for eight years. It was really nice. Immediately afterwards, boom, we start getting war. People start fighting. So our country has had five. All right, eight presidents. And of the eight presidents, none of them has come to power by ballot. Everyone has come to power by the gun. Mm. So there's always been war for every change of president. Oh, but for the last time, we've had this guy who's been there for 33 years. So 33 years, one president. I've never seen any other president but the one I see. Gotcha. Interesting. But the region I was born in, northern Uganda, went through for 25 years. Now, that's the war that I was born in. I lived it, saw it. I saw it come to an end. My childhood, uh, my school days were not as smooth. Uh, they're not your usual childhood that you have. Um, home for us at that time is not what we call home here because Home meant a place you report to at 10 a.m. every morning and leave at 4 p.m. because you have to go to hide. That is what it felt like. Mm. Home for us was not a place where your dad and mom were people you would spend time with and be happy with. You don't trust anyone, not even your parents. So when you leave to go to hide at 4 p.m., you don't tell anyone not even your father, not your mother, because you don't trust anyone. That was home for us. We went to boarding school. Boarding school was the closest to the safest place. Why was boarding school safe? Because the government set the military to protect students. But well, it was just, I'd say, it's something that was meant to make you think you're safe, but it wasn't really safe. I still remember uh, in my fourth year of high school, and we were in our dormitory sleeping, 
and we'll hear a bomb. Not a gunshot, a bomb. And we had this rebel group. Uh, they recruited young men to their rebel group. It wasn't by mutual consent. They would just come and take you by force. So they wanted young boys like me and everyone my age. And well, so my childhood was spent running, hiding. So that is my childhood. I hope I haven't crossed beyond what you asked. You just asked no, me to produce that's, myself. That's no. phenomenal. I mean, um, what was boarding school from? Like, like for here, we have K through 12, kindergarten through. So when did you start boarding school? So I started boarding school when I joined high school. Okay. So our education system is a bit different from what we have here. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> our education system, we have what we call nursery school or kindergarten. Mm -hmm. It's basically three years. Uh, many people at my time never got the chance to go to nursery school. It was considered a luxury. Mm -hmm. So many people don't. I was lucky to go through it. Gotcha. Then we go through seven years of elementary school. We call it primary school. So it's seven years. Mm -hmm. At the end of the seventh year, you do a national exam. So basically every student countrywide does the same exam to qualify to go to high school. Uh, and then if you don't qualify, if you, you don't, don't qualify, go. you don't go to high school. Oh. Then well, after that, you go to high school. Now, high school for us is six years broken down into two. So you study the first four years, and we call that ordinary level. You pass and you get a certificate for it. Mm. Back in the day, that certificate was already big. It was something. It had so much weight. Yeah. But right now, it's nothing. Mm. After the four years, you need to go back for two more years of high school. It's basically called advanced level. So it's six years of high school. Do you choose to do that, or are you invited back for the two? The uh, oh, all right. <clears throat> you do at the end of the fourth year. You do another national exam. And that's how you get into the. You get into high school. Mm. You kind of specialize. You, you, you your subjects reduce. So mm. the first years of high school, you do thirteen subjects. That's what way too many. Yeah, very but broad. Very broad. Yeah, but then at the end of the last two years, you're able to choose some subjects that you're able to. to basically, you you choose whether you're gonna do arts or you're gonna do sciences, mm. and that's what you do in your two years of high of the of advanced level. So, gotcha. so once you made it into the ad advanced level and everything, um, I mean, I'm gonna kind of rewind just a little bit to kind of dive more into that just running and hiding and what that mentality was going through school and everything because, um, I mean, the, one of the big things that uh, when you research the war in Uganda and, like, Gulu was kind of, like, the hub yes. of a lot of that conflict and stuff. Um, so I know, I mean, we're going to get to parts of your story later on where Gulu is very heavily involved, but with the camps and rebel groups constantly going back and forth and stuff like that. What was it like being in boarding school and having to balance that gut instinct of survival versus trying to see the light of the potential of an education? Because I feel like when you're in that type of situation, it's very easy for people to fall back into, I just need to survive. Hard to All keep your eye on the light at the, the end of the tunnel. The education comes secondary. But obviously, I mean, you're sitting here recording with us, so education had a special place in your heart. But what was it like to try to balance those urges at that time? Well, now that I sit here today, 
and look back, I, I, I can't even imagine how I went through that. But at that time, it was hard to even differentiate. It kind of became a norm. Just imagine, you were born, we were born in that. Mm. We didn't know any other life apart from that. That is your reality. That was reality for us. Well, what it meant going to school was the Catholic Church in our country played a great role. So the boarding schools belonged to the church. Mm. And for some reason, the rebels had some respect for church-founded institutions. So they'd leave them alone? Not really alone, but they wouldn't attack them as violently or as frequently as they would do with your ordinary public schools. Mm. So that was one plus for us. Gotcha. Secondly, I come from a bit of a weird family. Weird in the sense, it's, it's, now that I look at it, I kind of look at it as, as abnormal. But coming from that family was my first um, motivation to stay in school and be able to endure whatever the cost. Mm -hmm. I come from a polygamous family, typical African family. In Africa, where I come from, it's okay for a man to have three, four wives. Mm. My father had three wives. Um, my father has 21 children. I have 20 siblings. It's a big Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, fourteenth, fourteenth uh, born, so somewhere mid between. I'm the first. I was the first to go to college. The first and only one. Now I just got my MBA from Walsh University. But I also saw the struggles growing up in such a family. I saw what it meant by not having enough. I saw what it meant by the conflicts that arise from coming from such a family. I always looked up to be better than where I was from. Mm. And at that point, the only thing that would get me out of that was getting an education, working hard at school. At that point, everybody else, uh, young people my age would look at me as, it was, it was strange for them. That was not the path anyone would choose to go. After all, you could be dead the next minute. You could be abducted the next minute. Yeah. Why would you need to work hard? See, and I think that that's, it, um, you know, just to kind <clears> of <throat> add in a little bit for, for the, that story to kind of continue developing. I think that that's, there's two very, very distinct options that people can take when they're in that type of situation. And we've talked about it on the Apex before. I mean, not to the extent of being in a rebel-torn country and the opportunity to die being very real um, minute to minute. But anytime anybody experiences an abyss, they have the option of either looking at the abyss and saying, what's the point in putting in the effort? Mm. Or they can look at the abyss and say, I have no choice but to put in more effort. To get because myself out I of this. I could potentially die in the next 24 hours, so I need to give it all I have. Exactly. Or I could potentially die in the next 24 hours, so I might as well not do anything. And you just happen to choose and be blessed with that the correct side of that. It's hard to go against the grain. That it, Especially it when you it see, really hard. like you said, everybody else around you all actively they, they not choosing to take the same path that yeah. you were. And then I imagine, like you just got done saying, that you took a little ridicule for you know dedicating yourself to your schooling. Oh, yeah. And uh, what even makes it worse is growing up in a place where you don't have any positive peer influence. Yeah. The, you don't have someone that you can look up to. I only came 
across that really late in my life to meet people that I could look up to and say, wow, I want to be like person A or B. They've done so well in their education. We, I didn't have that. You were your own motivator. So, yeah. And now that you have those positive influences and stuff, if there was one thing that you could go back and tell yourself at that point in time, knowing what you know now, what would it be? Well, then I developed one philosophy. I read it from somewhere, but I decided to take it up. It was, do not always go where the path may lead. Sometimes you just need to go where there's no path and you leave behind a trail. Maybe many times we are supposed to be that person to start up something. You're supposed to make the trail. We're supposed to make the trail. But many times everyone looks for a path that is already set. Mm. And I think that's where we go wrong. If each of us would always open up a new trail, just imagine how many trails would have for others to follow. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, there's a really famous Robert Frost poem that talks about that. Yeah. Uh, two roads diverge in a yellow wood. <laughs> I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially, I mean, that's a concept that's been around for a long time, that sometimes being the trailblazer is the most rewarding piece in life, but is also one of the hardest things to do. Um, so why don't why don't we continue continue on here? You're, so at this point, you're boarding school, trying to get the education, consistently being under attack and stuff like that. Um, were there ever any experiences that you have where you know you legitimately believed that you weren't going to make it out, and then you eventually ended up making it out? Yes, uh, all my life, someone has always been there to support me. I've made it, I managed to make it up because somebody else believed in me, somebody else made it possible for me to, to get to where I am today. So well at that time, I told you about the national exams that we all have to mm -hmm. do. Well, at some point they go and find out who did best and they'll give you some sort of scholarship or some sort of support. So after my first exam, ordinary level, well, I to was, get that's to get into high school to get well I was already in high school then. oh so to get into the last two years yeah, yeah, okay yeah. Last two years. all right yeah, gotcha advanced level so well I did I performed better than anyone so my in Uganda we have either administrative units called sub counties I think you have counties here so well for us our sub counties would be equivalent of a county here gotcha well I was the best so they gave me a scholarship. And that scholarship was for my first school term, my first term at school. And that's how I managed to leave the war-torn zone in northern Uganda, then traveled to study in the city, mm. in Uganda and Kampala. So it was because of my performance that got me out of the war zone. They offered to pay my tuition in a school in the city that had no war. So that was the beginning of my escape. <laughs> now, now what, did, what did that feel like, getting that scholarship and knowing that despite all the ridicule and everything, that the, all the work that you had put in kind of came to a fruition? Well, at that point, my excitement was just going to the city. <laughs> that was all I was excited about. <laughs> yeah, like, Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Come on. Yeah. I was going to the city. That yeah. was it. I mean, I didn't think about it then that in terms of leaving this war zone. Now, wait a minute. Growing up, we had times when we would travel to the city and have to travel back home in northern Uganda. And it's a, right now, it's a four to five hour trip drive by bus. Back then, 
it was a 12 to 14 hour drive. Why you had to drive halfway, so half of the journey, and they, we had to wait all for all the vehicles, all the buses, or every vehicle that was going through that route that day had to wait for a convoy. So you had to wait for military men. To escort you? So, to escort you. So there was a tanker and wow. all these big uh, gadgets that I don't know, the, the, the fighting equipment that I can't, I don't know. So we would go in a convoy. And this is as a child. As You're... a child. I watched that all through my life growing up. That is what it was like. So they'd stop you and then basically rotate the convoy to the city and back to the stop and then just take as many people as possible. So we all, oh. every vehicle came and parked and waited. <coughs> so probably you wait three or four hours. Then there was one trip. So we all moved as a group. But still, the rebels would still shoot at the convoys. They would bomb vehicles. It was there. So going home, going to and fro, the city was never safe. It's like, was it even worth it? It wasn't even worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Many people stayed over. Those who crossed over to the city just stayed back and never went back home. Mm. Yeah, just to not to get to that mess. Well, so this time I had the opportunity to go and live in the city for two years. Well, I was going to a boarding school. Um, they were paying for my first tuition. So it meant so much. And, and I was going to, I call that rub shoulders with the kids of the rich. <laughs> I was going <laughs> make to make some new friends. Yeah, yeah. make yeah. some new friends. Um, well, I moved up to the city and that was kind of a defining time. For once in my life, I had two years of peaceful studies. For the first time in my life, I, I was able to concentrate, live without worrying that someone is going to come and abduct you in the night. Live without a worry that there's a bomb that was going to fall on your roof. Live without the worry that uh, any time in the night you have to go and sleep out in the cold. That was the first time. And how old were you when that was the first uh, time? So we usually go to high school when you're 16. So oh, if you're 16, so 17, that's when you go to your, for the last two years of high school. Mm-hmm. So 17, 18 years. So 18 years old, yeah. and that's the first time in your life yes. that you didn't have all that exogenous stress believing that you could potentially be abducted or killed. It was also at that point that I realized that there's another life apart from the life that we were living before, that it's possible to live peacefully, to sleep go to bed at 10 and wake up at 6 without any interruption. <laughs> it was the first time. Um, well, now that I talk about it, I appreciate it. Yeah. Then I didn't quite see because I thought it was the way of life. But the be- nice thing is those two years were also the times when our government and um, the rebels were kind of getting into a peace talks. And these peace talks were brokered by the church. Uh, there's a, the Archbishop of Gulu, who will be coming to Walsh next week, by the way. He, he walked over to the rebels. He went deep to the forest uh, in the Congo. And he spoke to this guy. And he says, you've been fighting for 20, 24 years. And all you've done is bring bloodshed. You know what? You've got to stop. Well, everyone was scared. They thought he was going to die. But everyone was surprised when he came back alive. And the other guy said, well, I'm not going to fight again. And he started pulling out his people. 
Well, he asked for something compensation. He asked that they be given amnesty. He asked that the government changes. But it was surprising that 25 years of war was changed by a guy, by a guy who didn't even use a gun. He just walked in he there and used his voice. He just walked in. He just had his courage. It's his courage that took him there. That's that's what legends are made of right there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's a very peaceful man. I can't imagine walking into... Is that the gentleman that my, my sister has a picture exactly. with? Along with Bishop yeah. Sabino? Bishop, yeah, he's coming yeah. here next he's week. Walking, walking into the Congo. Yeah, and he then, just walked in there. And man, that's, that's... He's fed up. Yeah. Yeah, he was that's fed some, That's a miracle if I've ever heard one. Yeah. For sure. And he was the only guy that the rebel leader trusted. Well, he gave him his direct phone. And he would call. So once in a while... Remember, these rebel groups were scattered everywhere. Yeah, so they were all around. They were all around. So there were groups that were still attacking people, and he would call them and tell them, look here, there's this attack that just happened last night. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to pull them out. Hmm. Well, but that was the story. So 25 years, everyone was trying to fight by the gun, and they realized the solution was not even to fight. The solution was to talk. Now, now, when did those negotiations start, timeline-wise? Um, well, so the negotiations st- were at different levels. The very first one was started by the government. So they organized, we would have all these government officials go hire a hotel in another country, and they'll sit in these posh hotels. But nothing was changing back at home. Mm. People were continuing to die. They were disagreeing. Well, so this was That different. doesn't sound like government at yeah. all. <laughs> This one was different because these agreements were being signed in the bush. So I don't know Boots how. Boots on the ground. Yeah, on the like ground. Uh, There's some photos that I've seen that are really strange. It, they're not signing agreements in a hotel. They're in a bush. <laughs> and and these guys, the, the, they look terrible. I, I, probably they've not taken a shower in I don't know how long. And Decade. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And these guys walk in here. Signing and, a piece of paper on a rock. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they even signed papers. They just went and talked this out. Yeah. Yep. Just shook the, hands on it. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Yeah. Spit on their hand. Become, <laughs> become brothers that way. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I complete high school and I have to go to college. Now, there's this. And this is like early 2000s? Uh, oh, that's 2000 this? and um, 2000, not uh, 2004, 2005. Yeah. Okay. So the, the war basically... Just to make sure that the guests kind of keep kinda, that timeline in their head. Yeah. yeah. So 2009 is when the war finally completely comes to an end. 2009, you said? 2009, yeah. Okay. Then, at least I'm sure, I walked into Gold in 2009 and it was peaceful. Like you would drive from Kampala, the city, to Golu without having to be stopped, without meeting roadblocks without any incidences. And that's when many people in Gulu start to get to know what it means to have peace. Mm. That's when people start to realize to live a normal life. That's when some people didn't even remember where their homes were because they lived for so long in internally displaced people's camps. So there were camps, everyone was picked away from their homes and camps were built. So we have kids who had grown their entire lives living in a camp. Now our camps are not the camps you see here. I've seen it. I've seen the borders and what people call uh, concentration camps. They're not anywhere close to that. So the camps in Uganda are basically two meters squared, and they give you a tent. It's just a tent, and you have a family. Now we are talking of an African family. An African family is not anywhere. 
less than 14 five or to six. 20. Yeah, you yeah. have all those people. Yeah. So basically, they just have a place to, to lay in the night. They stack on top of one another. Yeah, that's possible. Some of them had to go through that. Now, we are seeing a father and a mother and the kids all in one place. Fathers and mothers didn't know what it meant by work. Because you wake up in the morning, you're in a camp. You don't go to work, just wake up and sit. So you wait for the, there will be trucks from World Food Program come give up food for free. So everybody just goes and lines up and waits for you. You wait for your ration. Yeah. So kids saw their parents. Well, here we know our parents go to work. Okay. When you need something, you ask your parent. Yeah. For us, that's not what you did because parents were not really breadwinners. The breadwinner was the truck. <laughs> the truck <laughs> brings food. Yeah, the parents so, were just the vessel. Yeah, so you, you grew up not having any respect for your parents. Yeah. Kids grew up, uh, the only people who had resources were the military guys, the army men. Yeah. Because they worked, but they also used very many young girls. Young girls had nothing, and if you wanted food, if you wanted something, you had to sleep with one of those army men. So we had girls of 12 years, 13 years, get pregnant. Rep. Remember, we, we are talking of a an environment that is completely, should I call it abnormal? It's upside down. It's upside down. Yeah, it's, all, it's like subhuman mm. almost. The rule of life for survival. Everyone was looking for survival. Whether it's the father or the mother or the kid at home, they all looked at survival. It was a, dis- a twisted life. Yeah. It was you not just, your you normal. You had to watch out life. for yourself and nobody watch else. Watch out for yourself. Now, time came, you had to go back home. Just imagine how difficult it would be for a man who has not worked in 20 years and he's supposed to start winning food for the family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, ha- it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Just imagine a kid who never got the chance to go to school. He doesn't know any different. He doesn't know. Yeah. But here, the wars ended and they tell you, go back home, live your life, start a good home. Like, where's that? That doesn't Nobody happen. knows how. Yeah. Yeah. And Every, everything's just been so twisted and lived out for that long that that is the reality. And that's the reality on the ground right now. Many people were pushed back to go home, but they don't exactly understand what it means by living a normal life. Yeah. Young people had chances missed. People, I have friends of mine who never got the chance to get an education, not because they, they, they didn't want, but the opportunity wasn't there. I had many of my friends who were abducted by the rebels. Some of them taken at nine years old. Well, after the war, the rebels bring you back and you're 21 years old. What life do you know? They don't know. They only know war. They only know war. And you expect them. They come back traumatized. You have an entire, an entire nation that's just ravaged by PTSD. Exactly. And that is what is in Golo. Almost one out of every five person, people you meet have PTSD. They're they're struggling with that. Well, this is the kind of environment that we're from. And, um, well, the war is ended. People are beginning to pick up their lives. Uh, People are beginning to appreciate education. People are beginning to work. But with that background, it's not something you expect people to do in one day. It's not something that you can just wake up one day and make right. Yeah, no, it's... Mm -hmm probably take more time fixing than it was to draw out the war for 25 years. Yeah, you're, you're very right. And, so, and, and around that time, you started a family of your own, right? Well, so, well, I complete. I go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, weird. 
um, initially I had wanted to do, to study accounting and finance. That was my, my vision, my dream. Uh, we also have a system in our country where you don't choose, well, you have, they give you an option to, you propose four areas of concentration for programs you think you want to do. Mm -hmm. But the final decision is not yours to make. Our government decides for you. Hmm. Also, I wanted accounting and finance, but they chose for me something else. Well, that's what we could afford. So I went to college and studied something that wasn't really me. I went to study, I uh, did a Bachelor of Arts in Social Sciences. I wanted accounting and finance, but that's a Pretty different. Very different. <laughs> well, I finally fall in love with it. I complete the program. I start my first job working with a humanitarian organization, working with young people. But because I'm shaped by my background and where I come from, I have this passion for seeing young people basically motivate them, um, let them know life is different. You can make it better. Make you it don't have you to be. To. Yeah, you can become whatever you want to. So I worked there for a few years, and that's when I met my family. I moved to Gulu, and God has always been taking me back to Gulu, the hub of the war. That's where the war was. Mm -hmm. And the first time I was supposed to go to Gulu, my parents told me, are you crazy? You want to go to Gulu? Back then, if anyone said you're going to Gulu, it's like you're choosing death over life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Because even if you're not going to die today, I mean, everything is shattered. Remember, there's war. There's yeah. nothing. Everything is down. It's how ravaged. You, yeah. I, that's, I feel like that's how people look at some, like, when you're like, you want to join the infantry? What? what? Yeah. You want to yeah, join the you're military? Right. What? Why would you do that on purpose? Yeah. You got a death wish, boy. Yeah, you feel called, though. You yeah. feel called back to that area, like you said. You just happened to end up there. And believe me, for many times, I tried to get something else to take me out of Golo. But it seems like there was always this voice pushing me back. Mm -hmm. You have a mission there. You have a mission there. And it kept taking me back to Golo. Well, I got to Golo and eventually fell in love with Golo. Why? The war had covered the truth in Golo. Because of the war, you wouldn't see, you wouldn't read and see what was deep inside the people there. You wouldn't even see the beauty. Recently, I was seeing a photograph that was taken in Golo, and I compared to a photo that was taken way back. Well, this photograph was taken using a drone, and Golo was green. Hmm. During the war, people never thought Golo would become green, just green and look green. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, does war take away grass? <laughs> I mean, this too, yeah. I wouldn't take it, but even just the looks, just the environment. It changes. Changes. Uh, well, our government and other support, they've done a lot right now, trying to put back roads, try to build bridges, try to put infrastructure. Yeah. And Gula has really made so much progress, so much. It's it's a beautiful place right now. You. You would love to be there. Well, I fell in love with Gulu and I felt there's a mission. And uh, I get the opportunity to come to the U.S. finally. I meet somebody again. Like I said, I've only been able to come here because somebody believed in me. Yeah. And uh, I meet a, a very nice gentleman. He's called Father Gino. And he tells me, well, we are opening up a university in Gulu. And I still remember what our discussion. I told him, wait a minute. You want to open a university in Gulu? It's like, yeah, I'm like, but why? Gulu of all places? <laughs> remember Gulu? Nothing good ever comes from Gulu. Why Gulu? Want to change the perception of He's it. He's like, yes, with what our people have gone through, it's only through education. And if we open a university, 
we shall be able to address not just the short-term effects, but also the long-term effects of this war. Anything we do right now should be able to help our people heal. Yeah. And the healing is not just for their bodies, it's not really healing bodies, like healing a disease, but we need to heal their bodies, their minds, and their hearts. Where he asked me, I need you to be part of this impossible dream, because I told him it's impossible. <laughs> Those guys are poor. You, The church is poor. A college, that's not something that normal, I mean, you don't it's have difficult it. to get to in the first place. Yeah, you, you won't have that. Well, but I fell in love with it. And believe me, more and more each day, I believe in what they decided to do. And again, the person who came up with this idea was Archbishop Odama, the one who fought the war. And he's the one who says, we shall not nurse. It's, we shall not, in the short term, we cannot think we're going to call people for a training and train them in, for example, cancel them in one day and think they will get better. Yeah. You will not just advise people or give them seeds for free or give them money and you think they're going to get better. No, you need to be able to address, look at them in the short term, in the long term. We have a whole generation of young people that miss the normal upbringing. Yeah. And that generation is the one that we want to provide for, we want to change. And it's based on that that I came to the U.S. They got the scholarship and they at Walsh University, where I came and did my master's in business administration. And I have to go back and contribute in some way to making our place a better place. Nice. So speaking of trying to make your, your place a better place, why don't we kind of dive into some of the ideas that you've had as far as, you know, when we first met back in April, I mean, we can kind of talk about how we even you know, the story of why you're here sitting at the table. Because now everybody has the background of, you know, you growing up and what got you to the U.S. and everything. But now we'll try to bring them up to speed on why you're even sitting behind the microphone in the first place. So we'll just kind of, why don't you just explain, you know, from your perspective and stuff, how we met. Um, and then I will kind of like lead you into talking about the business ideas that you've come up with and, and ways that you believe you can contribute to, to bringing that that diocese of Gulu, that location in Uganda itself as a whole back up to speed. Well, thank you. So on the 28th of May, 2018, I was in our kitchen at Laminate Hall at Walsh University. Uh, there was a graduation ceremony going on in the grounds, the Walsh grounds, but I was watching this thing on YouTube. I wasn't even watching, I was listening. The, 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 I remember we sat a phone and we were listening and Somebody was speaking, was giving a speech at graduation, and that was Jan, Jan Almasi. And he was talking about how, he talked about his story, and how as a young man, he was motivated by his grandfather. And I still remember how he told the young guys, he's like, it's not about you. It's not about what you have today. You can always be better than what you have today. He's like, I've worked for a long time, and I've not even been able to get a pay out of it. Mm -hmm. But even just do it with love, well, when I was listening to this guy, I felt, I felt Resonated somebody with speaking you. me. He was talking about me. Oh, he would speak exactly what I would say. Mm -hmm. I had not yet met him. <laughs> not <laughs> met him, but I had this guy speak. Well, later I got to realize um, it was Jan, and we met at your graduation. And yep. so what I found strange was you're a nurse. Okay, he, he was graduated with, with his degree in nursing. Uh, he was uh, doing many other things. I'm like, why? 
First of all, why would you even do this? How do you balance the two? And I, I just loved, that that was really interesting, that he's able to pick together, pick up whatever he has, all your abilities, and you can put them up together and do something. To make something to, out to of make it. make something out of it. And that was my motivation. Well, we started talking and we started sharing our stories. I listened to his stories. He listened to my stories. And he told me, wow, there's a lot you can do. I'm like, really? I think so. Well, I had the urge. I always, I know I want to do something, but what is it that I should do? I just didn't know how to have that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I was sent here on scholarship by university, so kind of my, my all attention was study hard, pass your exams. Um, well, when you have a chance, talk about this university, and well, that is it. Get back and get to work. Yeah, and then go back. Yeah. yeah. But I'd not realized the impacts of just simple things we can do to change just one life or two lives or three lives. The universe may be able to change everyone at once, but you can do things as an individual or two people. So that's when we came up with, he helped me to think through this. And believe me, he was always probing me and getting me <laughs> to think. He was getting me to think and asking me. And many times I would sit back and be like, there's so many things I think I can do. I am lucky, I'm more lucky than any other young person or many young people back in Uganda who went through what I went through but never got a chance to make it out of it. Yeah. I was lucky to somehow get out of it. And here I am. And I'm like, with ideas and sometimes with little simple acts of kindness, with simple steps, simple things we can do, we can do something that can change a life or two, especially of the very young people. Many ideas came up, and maybe uh, as we continue, uh, I'll kind of delve into them. First thing was, well, now more than ever, I need to go back and work for this universe and work really hard. The question was, I didn't know what I was going to do there. Hmm. I was like, well, the university is big. It's a big entity. I won't be able to... I can't change everything in a university. But like, what can I do as an individual, as a person? So I got a chance to travel back home in December of 2018. And when I went back, picking from a few ideas from the Apex, just listening to people's stories. Well, I had been there, and I thought I'd had the worst experience during the war. But when I went back, I gathered young girls, young boys. I still remember a young lady called Consi. And I would listen to Consi's story. Consi, she's just 19 years. She has three kids, three young kids, 19. Well, Consi, it's not because she wants to have three kids. Consi never got an opportunity in life. Getting married was her way out. Mm, to my, a better life. My, yes, my way out was education. That was her way out. But well, that wasn't the best choice. But how did she get there? It was because she had no other way out. And I'm like, what else can we still do to get Consi out of this? I left Consi, listened to another guy's story. So I had a bunch of stories of people. I'm like, I would tell them, I have nothing to offer you. But maybe I can talk to you. Maybe we can create opportunities for you. Brainstorm together. We brainstorm together. And it's based on that, when I came back, we continued brainstorming with Jan and um, other people. Um, how do we make... How do we contribute? Even if it's little, how do we get people involved? How do we 
get the less fortunate to be more uh, basically create opportunities yeah for them the um, best thing you can do is create as many opportunities as you can give right. people the options because mm -hmm. if they don't have the options then there's no point they can have all the drive in the world but if they don't have those options there for them to take and choose from then it all goes to waste exactly well so way back uh, we uh, putting up an idea uh, it's something that's still an idea on paper but we want to work on it with support uh, we having something we're calling gifts for Uganda or gifts from Uganda now before he dives into this I kind of want to dive into just how powerful it was trying to walk him through this guy we sat down first time we sat down I still lived in my apartment mm -hmm. and this was June of 2018 around there uh, we sat down on my, my balcony and talked and literally until the sun went down. I mean, it was dark out by the time he left. And we, I mean, between all the stories that you guys have heard in the beginning of this about war-torn Gulu and everything and him wanting to change the, the culture there and everything to um, my biggest thing, and it may come as a surprise to the listeners, but Robinson, um, for whatever reason, when we first started talking, believed that he didn't have a whole lot to offer. Mm -hmm. which, Common blows, occurrence. which blows my mind. But And I told him, he was like, what do you mean you want me to record a podcast episode? I was like, brother. There's a lot to talk about. You have so much yeah. to talk about. But I told every single guest that we've had on that have been the best guests are the ones that, are the ones they... that are, believe that they have absolutely nothing to offer the listeners. Um, and, and I'm sure at this point now, the people that are listening are 44 minutes deep into this and absolutely baffled at his story yeah and so sitting on that balcony and listening to the potential and seeing that spark and watching it grow over the past year has been probably one of the best like the greatest honors for me personally over the last year watching him develop and grow and i mean and him challenging me on things and forcing me to grow and and really trying to build this up this gifts for uganda is something that i think is going to be super impactful if we can get the right people on board at the right time and everything like that so um that's just my two cents on where we're at right now, that you're worth a lot more than you believe yourself to be, and that this idea is going to rock some worlds. So, you know, you Yeah, so what is it rolling. exactly? Or what's, what's uh, your brainchild? So, Gifts for Uganda is, uh, it's not just an idea. So, my experience growing up is, and, and it has become my philosophy. Every person, every human in this world has an inherent capacity to be good, to be whatever they want to be, if they're supported from both within and without. What do I mean here? We can all be very good. We can all be, I don't know, we, the sky is the limit for us. Mm -hmm. But we always need someone, someone or to hold us, to hold our hands. So when I went to Uganda, I met these young people who are super talented. And, and that, that's a beauty that America, the U.S. has that we don't have. In the U.S., if you can make something, if you can build something, believe me, you can make a life out of it. Somebody, you appreciate it for what it is and it's supported. Yeah. In Africa, the people who are super talented and they don't even realize it. So I met these guys and I met Konsi and they, I met these girls who make jewelry. Well, they use our local local, real local materials. Uh, Consi, 
she makes, she uses paper, recycled paper. She gets paper, cuts it, and I watched her do this. Cuts it up, uses some funny, I don't know, wash it. But anyway, at the end of the day, you get beads. And mm. it's jewelry, and she uses waste paper. She picks waste plastic or glass, kind of arranges them and comes out with this really nice, cool art piece. These guys, they get wood and carve it and carve it, give it the, you know, you see the passion with which they do this. Yeah. But while in Uganda, nobody appreciates this. Rather, we have a group of guys who, well, they may be businessmen, come buy this really cheaply, $1 at most. They package it, export it. At the end of the day, they become rich. Poor Consi can send her kids to school. Poor Consi can't even afford a meal. I'm like, okay. Time to remove that middleman. How do we remove this middleman? I'm like, how about if I could prepare a platform for them for to showcase to come and be able to make because they don't okay these raw materials, well they're not cheap. They're not exactly cheap by Ugandan standards. Like it's hard for her to even pick. That's money she would buy food. She was buying her food, but she uses it to buy paper, waste paper. We pick them and buy them. Nobody will give them for free. But she makes it. What if I could prepare? Go to put a platform where Consi can come and do all manufacture, like be able to make what she's passionate about, mm-hmm. build it. What if we could help her get whatever she makes to a market where it's appreciated? It's appreciated. And we want to appreciate her not just because she's of the product she's made, but also to encourage her and tell her, well, even choosing to work and not, for example, to, to go sell her body or to prostitution or, or do something else. Th- that's already something I appreciate. Remember I told you, with survival in mind, you will choose the easier option. Yeah. Well, we appreciate someone who chooses the harder option. To see how beautiful that is, that yeah. she chooses the harder option. But what if we could get her? And my beauty, what I did was I needed to listen to their stories. And, and I looked out for people who are motivated. Yeah. They want to do something for themselves. But they don't have the platform, the opportunity. So that's where Gifts for Uganda comes in. And our idea, so for all the people I met, one thing was central. They needed their kids to get an education. Because at this point, everybody appreciates and realizes it's only through an education that they're going to change not their ki- not only their kids' lives, but even themselves. Yeah. What if whatever we can sell, if someone would buy Consi's jewelry, how, come, how about if this money would go back into directly educating Consi, not educating her with formal education, but life skills, motivate her, uh, self-esteem, uh, domestic violence. How I mean, some of those ladies are being beaten by their husbands, and well, they can do anything about it. What if we can do that to better her life, to get her school kids in school? So directly, we create this opportunity, and we are creating a sustainable solution that doesn't just address her problems today, but looks at helping Cosi beyond today. That was the mindset. Mm. And believe me, we seem to have it all drawn clearly of how this should happen. But the challenge was, how do we make it happen? How do you implement it? How do we mm-hmm. implement it? And that's where uh, all this comes. 
we've been having meetings and trying to see how we can transform. We, we definitely, uh, Consi and the, the other guys, they manufacture products, looking at what's in the US, probably there may be quality control issues. There may be costs of production. There will be, they need a place to even come and meet together. Uh, we may need to have programs aside from that that would, um, basically this would be uh, life skills programs for them. Yeah. Health programs. I mean, simple the, the things that are basic, but they missed. Concept, they missed. They didn't have the. It was never there get. for them. Yes, we could have that in a center for them. Let them do this work, produce these products, but we get it directly to a buyer who will not just buy the product, but also buy with the mind of supporting Concept. The helping. To yeah. helping Concept. And that's what Gifts for Uganda is all about. Interesting. interesting ride taking that idea from but it's a cyclical. glimmer it, 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 to it, it actually it, like having i mean do we in-depth budget analysis uh, i mean he's created a some, lot of different documents and stuff like that over the course of the last six months it's a beautiful cyclical system that you have too it all feeds naturally in into one another in the grand scheme of you know the people are getting what they want as well as you know the internal satisfaction of knowing that you're helping others. And then not just oh, the one thing that you said brought, brought my mind to the one statement, like you give someone a fish they can eat for a day. Did you teach them how to fish? You facilitate that, then they're set for the rest of their life. Right. And that is the, that big thing. Actually, our plan <clears throat> is to have at the center, when I talk about center, this is what I'm talking about. We, we have a small property that we, we think of putting up. It's, it's something we will live in. We, we hope can get us started. But we were thinking of having that center actually put classrooms there. Classrooms so that when these young girls and women and young men come, they go to work and their kids go to class. All at the same time. All at the Beautiful. same time. In one place. It's it's it's. In my view, it's the best social support system. It's like shooting six buds with one. With one so yeah, you're 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 running on all cylinders, and you have the opportunity to put it together in a way where you don't have to have stuff outsourced in ten different locations. You can have it in all one one central one. And I think, like you said, with the mentality of them wanting to do this to get their kids into school, to get that education, to better themselves, having it all in-house like that is very comforting. Well, and like like you said in the beginning, um, one of the main things that you, you spoke about in the camps and stuff was that kids watching their parents line up, and that's the only thing they saw. If they were in the same building. Yeah, it's instilling, instilling that respect in their parents. Yep, yeah. the respect in the kids. So, I mean, I, I the idea has been phenomenal. It's been amazing to watch it grow where it is what i'll ask for anybody listening to this if you're an apex chaser or you know anybody that would be able to offer any advice into how to move this forward or anything like that or would Please be interested in out. trying to donate or or help support robinson in these efforts have them reach out um through the show you can email us at you know jjd thoughts at gmail.com um or my personal email j almacy one at gmail.com i'll put that in the in the show description um but if anybody has resources or anything that they'd be interested in trying to help get this off the ground, I've been personally involved in developing the company for the last eight months. The more, the merrier. So I can uh, definitely try to liaison. Some Two stuff. heads are better than one, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. I want to turn this into a Hydra. Yeah. Uh, is my, I mean, 
Someone there's tries to there's a lot of more, more jump out. I believe me, just knowing some of the listeners and the people that listen to our show and whatnot, there's a lot of people with big hearts that would love to jump on board with something like this. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. So um, with that, I mean, we're, we're coming up on our hour mark here. Um, but I want to just not, and I always say this, that's the same quote that I give with every episode. Not that you haven't had the floor the whole time. But at this point, if there's anything that you want to tell our listeners, anything you want to tell us or whatever, the floor is yours. Just say whatever's on your heart, whatever you want to end the episode with. This is your, your time, your time to, to deliver, shine. deliver your message. Uh, thank you. So for starters, I listen to the Apex. I listen to it. I listen to every episode. I blushed when like, he told me <laughs> yes. when I came in here. I was like, yeah. oh, he knows who I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's touched my life. Uh, my life has changed. Believe me. I won't tell you which episode, but I think I want to share with you. And and I think this is the way to go. Anybody listening up there, you, you may not realize what impact this has on, on, on someone listening. Some of them may reach out to you. Others maybe do not. But I want to say that this is awesome. It's Thank awesome. you. That, that means a lot. That, yeah. And secondly, uh, I've been in the U.S. for two years now doing my MBA. I completed my MBA and I graduated. And in one week's time, I should be going back to Uganda, going back to make my contribution in, in changing my country, uh, in helping other people, uh, creating opportunities for those that did not get this opportunity that I, I had. Um, up to this point, I've realized that all of us get somewhere because somebody else supports you. And any support that anyone would ever wish uh, or can render would be highly appreciative. Uh, more information on gifts for Uganda, you can reach out to Yan Almasi or JDD Thoughts. Um, they should be able to... to, to, to Which is now, just for, so for, for clarification, people know that JJD is now Apex Communications Network. We're in the middle of rebranding that, so... Just reach out Transition. to the Apex podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll steer you in the right direction. Uh, and, well, I've had a good time uh, sharing for the last an hour. I feel like we could talk for another oh, three yeah. hours. I'm, saying, man. I'm I mean, upset that you're leaving. Maybe we'll figure out a way to do a long-distance conversation no, we have, we have with some you. stuff in place that we should be able to be. That'd be awesome. Out, I'd love, yeah. to, love to get to know you more. Oh, I'm upset just... now that you're leaving. Well, I'm here. <laughs> and, and, by the way, if it, would be, it would be really nice if some of these episodes would be listened to by kids in Africa. I mean, people in Africa need some of this motivation. Well, I mean, this I, is supportive. Let them know. And uh, we can give you the links, you know, yeah. give you the, the we'll give you file, whatever you need to take it home with you. You can have. Spread the, so, word. Spread the word. Well, I'll be glad to. That will be truly uh, truly good. good awesome. Nice well, we hope anybody listening there that this, this helps, especially with such a outstanding representative of the situation and things going on over there there if like you said you never had a role model to look up to but sitting across the table from you all i see is a role model so it's yeah. exciting so i mean regardless of how how humble robinson enjoys being and and the lack of the ability i mean i literally don't think that he has the ability to toot his own horn <laughs> i mean i i don't think that that's even you gotta, a part. you gotta puff your chest out yeah, here every once in a while that's even a part of his his makeup i think just he, innately he has the inability to 
like brag about himself. So we're gonna take that opportunity. To yeah, brag we'll brag about for you. you. We'll be your hype man. Be like that. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be standing. You're gonna be the one standing in the mic. We're gonna be the background dancers <laughs> clapping in the background, hyping everybody we're else hype up, you up in the crowd. So for those of you listening, make sure that you. Go back and and reach out if you have anything to offer for the Gifts for Uganda. If you were affected by this story, you know anybody else that would be interesting to interview along these topics, feel free to reach out. We'd love to have them on the show. Absolutely. Um, If you want to support the Apex Podcast, go ahead and go to patreon.com backslash the Apex Podcast. Um, if you make, you know, one, three or five dollar donations, there's different tiers, different things, but mostly you'll get shout out tweets from us, either mentioned on the live show. I'll write you a um, nice letter. Or we'll write you a letter and send you a sticker in the mail. Uh, if you do want to donate and you would like some of those donation funds to go to Gifts for Uganda, all you have to do is go to patreon.com and in your notes section when you donate, type in Gifts for Uganda and we'll make sure that we allocate those funds to be donated to Gifts to Uganda. Um we also have Venmo. If you want to do singular donations, you can just put Gifts for Uganda in the Venmo, mm-hmm. um, and we'll make sure that those funds get to Robinson so he can use that to help support bringing that his dream that dream to light. Uh, you can go to follow us on Instagram at underscore the Apex Podcast underscore at Jan underscore Almacy or at Doc Holiday 92. And that's really about it. That was a I great got. episode. That was a phenomenal episode. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for again, coming. Robin, it was a pleasure. It was very nice meeting you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. And then until next time, keep chasing that apex.